everyone. Welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. This is podcast number one, lesson 10, titled The New Covenant, for Sabbath, June 5, 2021. We are studying from the quarterly called The Promise, God's Everlasting Covenant. Now, the introduction to this week's lesson is a good one. It describes this cartoon where the executive announces that the word new on the product label is the only thing new about the product. And this is really fitting because the title New Covenant can be confusing. There really isn't anything new about it. I mean, at least in, it's from the standpoint of the initiator. I mean, it, couple this with the fact that the only place that new covenant is mentioned in the Bible is in the Old Testament in Jeremiah. I mean there is a reference in Hebrew but that's really just quoting the Jeremiah text. So it's important not to get the new covenant mixed up with the New Testament. Um, And it's also it's also good to avoid the trap of believing that somehow God didn't get something right the first time so he had to do it a different way. In other words, he had to kind of rip up the old agreement because the children of Israel messed it up or because we simply are not capable of keeping his law. And so God moved on to plan B. So, um, you know, this this idea is really widespread and repeated so many times among um, Christian believers that it's kind of just adopted by many by default. And and it's very misleading because it somehow has us thinking that God tried something that didn't quite work or gave us some tasks that we weren't really capable of doing and and then just you know we kind of failed at it and then we realized oh well, we need God I mean it's it's just not you know it's it, it's not the correct picture um, God didn't get anything wrong he didn't need to start anything new in fact the only reason the agreement had to be renewed or refreshed which are better words in my opinion um, is because people we humans chose to reject God and I mean this is even even after as it says in Jeremiah I was a husband to them in other words the people we are the ones that asked for the divorce or maybe never really even wanted to enter this covenant in the first place I mean in Exodus twenty nineteen, they said to Moses you speak with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us lest we die so they really wanted an intermediary, even you know at the time of Sinai. They did not really want to enter this directly with God. Um, but this new covenant is the same exact covenant. It's the same covenant. Um, just as the tables of stone were remade exactly as a first set, um, God will keep remaking exactly the same covenant again and again because this covenant and its author, God, are everlasting. So, you know, we really have to keep that in mind, that the, the, the new covenant is just the same covenant. There's only been one covenant from Eden to Sinai to Jerusalem to here we are right now. God has been describing the very same covenant. If we will but hear and obey his voice, in other words, trust in him completely, even in the case of Eve, when things were beyond knowledge and he said, you know, he will be our God and we will be his people. That's the covenant. And um, what does it mean to be our God and we will be his people? Well, I mean, he's, we're going to be, we're going to be under him. We, we, he is going to be our God. We are going to trust him and he is going to keep us safe from the evil that surrounds us. And, and not just safe and giving us a good life here or, 
you know, the remaining years that we have. But, I mean, he's going to give us an opportunity to live forever in a world without evil and with him in an earth made new. Um, to walk with him and talk with him and, and receive his blessings. And that's if we opt to into this agreement, though. We need to circumcise our hearts so that we will not go straight from him. And we will want to enter his way. We will want to do what he, what he instructs us to do because we trust him and we know that he's just telling us things that are, that are good for us and that he wants the best for us. Um, but we have to want that. So let's look at how the covenant hasn't changed. I mean, I kind of referred to it, but back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were called to trust God. I mean, they didn't understand things. They didn't even have a knowledge of good and evil. So they didn't even have as much information as we have. Yet they were called to trust God at his word and, and obey, and he would protect them and give them life or, you know, perhaps keep them from death. I mean, that that's, was the covenant. Um, back then, same thing. You obey me, you trust me, and I will protect you and I'll give you life. Um, with Noah, it was the same thing. God called Noah to trust him, to listen to him, even though the earth has, hadn't even seen anything close to a flood. But God was communicating with Noah. Noah was trusting God. He was listening. He was communing with him. He, he was dwelling within God's law, if, if you want to call it that. But in, you know, even in a sea of wickedness, as the Bible describes the time that Noah was living, Yet here was a man that was living within, he was, he was on the track with God. And God protected Noah and those that were with him and his family and the animals. I mean, he protected them and delivered them against all odds. I mean, just think of the catastrophe of it, this massive upheaval and flood in this relatively tiny bobbing boat you know, with all these animals and people. It's, I mean, he gave Noah life he he delivered him and his descendants and you know we are his descendants he gave him many descendants because we're all descendants from noah um with abraham it was a very same covenant come away from a comfort zone come out of your country come to a land that you don't know trust me and walk in my ways in other words hear and obey and i will be your god and give you the promised land and also many descendants and you know i'll just want to say at this point that i don't I, I, this idea of the promised land, I don't believe that Abraham thought of it temporally. Maybe he did, but even so, the idea that his descendants are going to be as the sands of the sea and the dust of the earth and the stars of heaven, I mean, that's the language that the Bible uses. So even Abraham could understand that this promise was a ways off. This was in the future. So yeah, maybe there'd be some temporal blessings that were realized, but there was, this was really a, a farther vision for the, for the future. And this has always been this future promised land. Um, and it's the same covenant that's given at Sinai. Uh, we can read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 3 through 6, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And, you know, the, the lesson also mentions the text in Ezekiel, which describe the same covenant, this, 
new if you want to call it in, in this new covenant in Jeremiah, but it's really the old covenant. In Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, it says, Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So you see it's, it's describing people that are walking with God. They're walking within his envelope, but in his ways, doing as he would do. And then he, they will be called his people and, and he will be a God to them. And in, in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, it says, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the same covenant. And so the question really is, okay, is there anything new? Um, why is it called new? And the answer, according to Jeremiah, is yes, there is something new about this renewed covenant, if you want to call it that. And, but what's new this time is that the people will not ask for an intermediary like Moses. This time the people will enter into this covenant. They will come with willing hearts. They will be willing to have their hearts circumcised and they will be willing to become clean and put on the wedding garments they're not going to be coming without them as you know that parable in matthew 22 where it says um but when the king came and to see the guests he saw a man there who didn't have on the wedding garment so he said to him friend how do you come in here without a wedding garment garment and he was speechless then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. See, it really should say, Few choose him, not few were chosen, um, because that's what it's all about. The people this time, under this new covenant, will be willing to change their garments. They will be willing to come in as the bride to God and be and choose him um so that's the difference this time the people opt into the covenant so let's look at those verses in jeremiah um, which describe this new covenant that's jeremiah 31 31 through 34 and it says behold the days are coming says the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day that i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt my covenant which they broke though i was a husband to them says the lord but this is a covenant that i will make with them with the house of israel after those days says the lord i will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So we see here is described the same covenant. The people will walk with God. They will be in harmony with him and with the order of his universe, and they will have his laws written on their hearts and in their minds. And they will be God's people, and he will be their God. So the, the lesson asks the question, who instigates this covenant? Well, that, that's clear. That's God. And God is the same author for all the covenants. And 
all the covenants are the same. Um, so, and what it, the, the, the lesson also says, what is the law that's mentioned in Jeremiah? You know, when it says, I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. What does that word law mean? Well, if you look at it, um, the, the Hebrew word there that's used is Torah. And, you know, some people think Torah is the Ten Commandments, or some think it means the first five books of the Bible, you know, as the Jews refer to as the Torah, or all the laws and commandments and statutes and judgments that are contained in there. Um, you know, the Jews count around 613, or that's the number. Um, but we know that it's more than that. You know, when God is talking about his writing his laws in our hearts, that's that law is not something that's finite, that just can be written down on stone or parchment or paper. It, it's not Ten Commandments. It's not Nine Commandments. It's not even One Commandment. And it's not 613, as, as the Jews count. It's, it's nothing that can be written down into finite space. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us things like, you know, not to smoke cigarettes or abuse drugs or things like that. I mean, and, and it, there's lots of references in, in the New Testament where it talks about the law being deeper than just, you know, what it says on the surface. It's, you know, when you murder. It's not just a murder. It's what, what, is, what is it in your heart? Um, and what are you feeling in your heart? And there's, there's lots of examples there. So we have to realize that, that God's law is like this order of the universe and that the commandments and statutes and judgments and all the instructions that are written down in the first five books of the Bible, these are, are like way marks. I mean, they tell us how God's universe works. They, they describe the character of God. They, they point out his signature and how he wants us to worship him. And, um, you know, how our weeks are ordered, how, how the, the seasons um, are ordered, and how things work in balance. Um, and if we walk in that way and we're in alignment with God, we'll be in maximum happiness um, and we'll have life. And, you know, I, I think of these statutes and commandments and judgments and precepts and etc. They're, to me, they're like way marks. In other words, they're not, not a checklist that we follow. Um, and they never were this, but they can be seen as a list to kind of check ourselves. I mean, and I say ourselves and not others, because basically if we are on his track, we should be passing all these way marks naturally. You know, they shouldn't be forced. Sure, we can go if we're on a train and we're on the right track. I mean, we could somehow pretend we're on the train and kind of go to some of the main stations, but it's not unless we're actually on that train that we're going to hit every station on time in the right order and we're going to be passing every way mark along the line. I mean, there's going to be a way to distinguish between the people who are trying to fake it, like was the case with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Christ's time. They were, you know, they, they, they wanted to look like they were on the right path um, and, and do some things that maybe showed that they were on the right path, but, but they weren't. And it was clear that they weren't, they weren't passing all the, the way marks. They weren't showing that compassion to people and they weren't being generous. And, and so it, it was, it's obvious, but, um, so it's not really possible to keep God's law to kind of fake it that way. You really need to be on the right track. And then these way marks just become, just double check. They they help us if we're off of the off of the track. Um, but we know that if we're not doing them, then we probably 
need to align ourselves with God and come to him. So that's what I mean by we can check ourselves against them, but they're not a checklist. You don't do these things. And then that means that you're on the path for, with God. Um, it's only when we operate in harmony with God's law, with all of it. And this, this law that's so deep and so all encompassing that, you know, we can't even write it all down. Then God will be our hus- a husband to us and we will probably get closer and closer to him just like in a marriage where they become you know closer and closer till they know what the other is thinking um in fact the lesson study mentions the text in isaiah in hosea and hosea 2 let's read that hosea 2 18 to 23 it says in that day i will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and judgment, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You are my God. So you see, this is a very intimate relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants it to be like a marriage partner. And then he's going to give us all these sweet things, and bow and sword are going to be shattered there's not there's going to be peace there's going to be safety for us the beasts of the field and the birds of the air they're all going to be part of this heavenly new earth this promised land which is the very same one that abraham saw in vision and jacob and moses and when we are betrothed to the lord in righteousness and judgment we become under his protective canopy now the lesson brings up the idea of a better covenant and this can be misleading um, because as we said, it's not different, so how can it be better? It's, you know, if it's if it's better, it's only better because um, God has been better because now he's going to have a faithful bride this time. Um, and the lesson brings up the reference in Hebrews. Let's read that. Hebrews 8, verses 7 through 13. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says... And then here is exact quote out of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In, and now that's the end of the quote from Jeremiah, but then it goes on in Hebrews and it says, In that he says, quote, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what does this mean when he says he made the first obsolete? I mean, what is becoming obsolete? What's growing old and vanishing away? And 
this this has been misinterpreted as well but to understand this you really need to go back into hebrews and read the rest of the verses um surrounding this what it's really talking about is the temple which is soon to be destroyed at the time of this writing the sacrifices and the earthly temple are what is going to be obsoleted because they are only symbolic of the actual and as it describes in hebrews the actual is christ you know he is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the everlasting priesthood. I mean, his priesthood lasts. It's not like the priests, I mean, this says in Hebrews, uh, the priests that, that die and have to be replaced because they're just, they're just symbolic of this heavenly temple. As you remember, that the, the temple was to be patterned after heavenly. So it, it's just, it was just a pattern and the priesthood is just was just a pattern and symbolic of Christ. But now Christ is there. And it also mentions how Christ's blood is a seal of the covenant. And, you know, a covenant is like, is an oath. It's usually sealed with something, something great, you know, like blood. They'll, the, both parties will agree to it. And then they'll sign it with blood. They'll, they'll seal it. They'll say, I pledge this, you know, and they, and they agree to it with, with, blood and the covenant in Abraham's time um, was to be sealed with the blood of circumcision but but in Hebrews it mentions how Christ's blood is the seal of the, this covenant so and and you know if there's anything that's really being obsoleted I would say it's their sins and their lawless deeds which he says I'll remember no more in other words that's what's going to be they're, they're going to be purified these people that enter in this covenant relationship are going to be purified and these sins and lawless deeds are, are going to be, you know, washed away. Um, so, and, you know, when it's talking about the priesthood here, it, it can get confusing to try to, to get it, the covenant mixed up with the atonement. Because um, there's a blood that seals covenants. Um, that's kind of token of the covenant, like circumcision. But there's also the blood of the atonement, you know, the blood that was made on the Day of Atonement um, for the sins of the people that cleanse the sanctuary. And I think, I mean, the way that it helps me to look at this is with the covenant, we're talking about an intimate relationship, like a marriage. And we're going to be entering this relationship with God, who's going to be like a husband to us and protect us. But the problem is we can't really come into this relationship because we're not really pure. You know, we're not bride quality. So that's where the atonement comes in. I mean, we need to be purified. Our sins need to be washed away. We need to be made white as snow. And and then we can truly enter in as the bride in this relationship. So, I mean, remember when the people told Moses, you know, don't let God's, you know, don't let us see God because we'll die. Um, or something to that effect. And God said something like, well, what they say is right. You know, if they come, they will die because they were, they were not ready. They were defiled. They weren't ready to come into the presence of God and they knew it. Um, so that's why they wanted Moses to go in before them. But the, the sad thing is, is they didn't really want to be purified to enter in. And in, in that way, the covenant was rejected. That covenant at that time was rejected, even by the fact that they wanted Moses to, to, to be an intermediate, was, was just signifying how they were rejecting that covenant. So, so you can see that there's two things. There's the atonement, 
the way I like to look at it is the atonement, which is to purify us so we can come into this relationship. And then the covenant is that relationship that we're entering into with God. And then it's sealed with blood as well. So the remaining topic the lesson um, covers is uh, who is the covenant directed at? You know, well, we know God instigated it, but, but what, who is he directing it to? And, you know, the only thing that's going to be different with this other one is these, these other people are going to accept, are they, who, so who are these other people? Are they the same people? Are they different people? Um, you know, who are these many who are called? Well, if we go back to the covenant given to Abraham, um, back in Genesis 17, 10 to 12, it says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male in your, in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. So notice it says, so all your, yeah, every male child who is born in your house, but also those bought with money from a foreigner who's not your descendant. So it's really saying even the people that are not genetically related to, to Abraham were to be circumcised. They were to enter into this covenant relationship. So right away we see it doesn't have to do with genetics. It doesn't have to do with the special chosen people. It's the people that choose God. And, you know, yeah, these people were bought, you know, with money, but they were under Abraham's umbrella. They were under his household they were abiding by the rules under his household and, and Abraham was directing his household under God um, and they were operating within those rules and those confines so um, it really doesn't have to do with bloodline even at this very start where we see this covenant and we know who the real sons of Abraham are anyway um, those who love and follow God. You know, in Isaiah 56, 6 through 7, it says, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And we can say all nationalities. And it says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So we can see how he's talking about all nations. And, of course, we're familiar with that text in Galatians 3 26 through 29 where it says for you are all sons of God through the faith in Jesus Christ for as many of you who as were baptized unto Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are all Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise so we can see how this covenant is really extended to anyone who is willing to accept, to come in and enter in and, and accept his covenant. It says, and holds fast to my covenant. Um, so that is who the covenant is extended to. So I think we'll wrap it up here. I mean, you should be able to see now how this new covenant is not really new. It's the same covenant repeated again and again by the same God. A God who wants a people 
to be close to him, to choose him, and to be intimate with him, and to circumcise their hearts so they'll never go astray. And the only thing about this new covenant is that this time the people will accept it. They will allow God to purify them and to wash their sins so that they can enter in. And they will let God be God and accept God as their God. And all the benefits and all the promises will be realized for those who choose to enter into this covenant and to make God their God. And I hope that is the choice of everyone listening today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.